Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to After Work Drinks, a weekly podcast where two journalists and best friends debrief on the week that was over a bottle of red wine. Oh, I forgot our names. (laughs) You know. Yeah, Isabel and Grace. Isabel and Grace. Hello. I was going to be like, hello, to do a little nod to Elizabeth. funny. I know. I kind of got distracted just then because Grace was laughing because as we went into this intro I was talking about my severe anxiety attacks while I was in Africa on my don't believe Instagram yeah don't believe Instagram <laughs> on my incredible safari and then um just as we went to the intro I was like yeah and then I thought you hated me because we could record an episode because there was no wi-fi and I was yeah. like no and then welcome to afterward drinks <laughs> Anyway, we're here. We're sort of celebrating Isabel's return slash her birthday while she was away. Mm-hmm. So we've got a bottle of champagne instead of a bottle of red wine. We do. And that was my present from Grace. And then I bought her a bottle of liqueur from Africa. It's because... like African liquor. It's the best. Yes. So it's made from the marula tree. <laughs> marula fruit. And I know that because the elephant I met was named Marula because she likes eating the fruit. The elephant I met? Yeah. I, just a quick debrief is necessary on your trip. It looked amazing. Mm-hmm. It was basically just 12 days of safariing in various African locations. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. It was um, Zambia, Botswana, and then South Africa. Uh, my best friend joined me. Sorry, my other, other best, best friend. friend. People got like, someone said to me the other day, they were like, I was like, oh, yeah, Izzy's in Africa with her best friend. And they're like, what? And I was like, oh, other best friend. And they're like, oh, are you jealous? I was like, no. <laughs> I know. Um, so my friend from New Zealand, she flew over to Africa to join me. And it was actually so much fun. We just got boozed all the time and then went on hungover safaris. Um, and The gin and tonic 
like wilderness safari mm. combination is quite enticing to me. Yes. Because like, I, I thought, oh, this is Isabel's dream holiday. Obviously, I wouldn't say no, but, you know, I'm not writhing in jealousy. But the more I thought about it, I was like, that's a hectic yeah. holiday. So that's the thing, because you think that it's going to be all adventure because you're out in these safaris, but really you're just sitting in a truck. Like you don't, I probably did less walking there than I've done in Sydney. Oh, for sure. But it's so fun. I remember from being on my like death defying safari, yeah. <laughs> please refer to the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um it was the because it's open air, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're out in the great outdoors. Mm. So very hot and sweaty. Um, I think the main takeaway from my safari was a woman named Lindy. Um, I've who... been waiting to hear this story. Is he's like, I actually can't tell you the story until we're on air. Well, now, Better you, be good. now you're hyping it up, but um, no. So Lindy and Graham are two <laughs> seventy-year-olds. Her name is uh, Marion. So <laughs> fuck, I don't know why she calls herself Lindy. That's like, that's like red, red flag, flag one. one. Yeah. yeah, so Lindy and Graham seem like a nice old retired couple from the outset. You meet them, you kind of think, oh, this is like lovely. They live in Brisbane. No, they're, Brisbane. Yeah, they're Australian. Right. Um, and before Lily arrived, so she came at like a day later than me, they sort of adopted me and we got along really well. And then we went out for this lunch where I realized that they are crazy homophobic racist oh god crazy people i've never met anyone like them in my life oh, firstly i thought this was gonna be like a fun joyful romp of a story no this i is... thought lindy was gonna like i don't know like love a white wine spritzer and like no lindy loves trump <laughs> <laughs> to, to the contrary yeah she she also loves gin and tonics like loves gin and tonics. Did she get a bit like like sourced up and Yeah, she got a bit loose with the tongue. But um especially one night, I think it was the night before my birthday actually, and I went back to the room and was like throwing stuff around. Because oh. I was so angry. I've never met anyone like it in my life. And it was just and just like usually I feel like with people like that, they're like not showing it. There's a bit of a dance. They meet a like minded person and then they'll reveal it. Like quite mm-hmm. rare to just like no, l- no, let it all was... in straight up. So I think Graham was smarter than her and he sort of just he sort of wouldn't so he was like, Don't mention Trump when she talked about Trump. But yeah. she was just really dumb and just one of those and she was such a she was so condescending. She was the kind of woman that you would just hate to have a mother as a mother in law. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of picks at everything you do and nothing's right. Uh, and she was like, Do you have to wear heels to work? And I was like, Well no. She's like, Well, oh, back in my day I used to wear stilettos while vacuuming and she thought that was something to be that's proud so, of. It's that, that's such a weird thing to do. Like yeah. no one was making you do that. No. Yeah, and she and you know, she'd get really upset if her hair got like wet or she had a hat on she had to take it off and she was really upset about that but mostly it was just the racism so when Christchurch happened which happened when I was in Zambia I think it was the second day and like my mum lives in Christchurch a lot of my friends live there um so I was on the phone to my mum as soon as I woke up just making sure that everyone was okay because everyone was in lockdown and my friend's children were locked in school because there was so an active crazy. gunman like it was pretty yeah. hectic oh my god and then i came out of the room and they just didn't really say anything and then when they found out it was a white a white guy she was like oh you know did he have something wrong with him mentally like did he have a low iq because she couldn't figure out that a white person like her would ever do something like yeah, that yeah and then i sort of was like oh that australian senator who said yeah, Fraser. Yeah, who said that it's you know usually Muslims that do this, and then she butted in and she was like, "Well, it is that sort of stuff." 
It was crazy. And I know this doesn't sound like a fun story, but I just can't deal with that people like that exist. And then it's so hard to even argue with them because they're just so set in their ways. I said my sister is gay and they said, what is the world coming to? Oh my God. To my face. That's so crazy. That's crazy to be stuck with them as well. Because I'm usually a defender of like, oh, sit with them and talk to them about it. But like, how can you talk someone out of being... No, she goes. We can't even. She goes. We can't say um, "Merry Christmas" in Australia anymore because there's too many immigrants. I was like, "What? I live in Australia." That's such a bizarre thing. Yeah, as if they can't celebrate Christmas anymore in Australia. I was like, "You know that I live there." Oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, she was the fucking worst. But it was just a hard thing as well because Jacinda Ardern was, you know, making all these speeches and saying that everyone needs to change off the back of Christchurch and we need to all take responsibility. And it's kind of like those things we talk about with, you know, when a woman gets sexually assaulted or something and we're like, the conversation needs to start before something happens and you need to, you need to make a conscious effort to change the conversation. If you hear someone saying something, shut it down. But when it's happening in real life at the table you're sitting at, it's so impossible. And I was like, I just have never been in this situation before in my life. And I kept trying and she just, wouldn't take anything in to the yeah. point where I had to go home and like scream into my pillow. Yeah, it's so uh, it's so interesting as well because I think we wanted to talk about Christchurch. Obviously, it felt kind of hard to talk about because it's like it's just evil and yeah. awful, and that in some ways you feel like there's nothing more to say about it. But then in other ways, it's like if you look at the man who did it and this fucking manifesto he did, like he was so impacted by like the rhetoric of Donald Trump and the rhetoric of like, he literally referenced Donald Trump in his fucking Twitter manifesto. He talked about all of these things that are related to stuff that we talk about day to day. And we're like, Oh, it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. And like, Oh, people should have free speech and blah, blah, blah. Like obviously people should have free speech, but if free speech means it doesn't mean a right to say things that are hateful, no. You know, and this is where this confusion has come in. And it's like when Trump speaks, it's like I always think about the fact that Pauline Hansen in the 90s when all of the like outrage was around Asian immigrants instead of Middle Eastern immigrants. And whenever she used to speak, it was like a proven statistical thing that hate crimes against Asians would go up within the 48 hours after like her speaking. Oh my God. And it's like when these people talk, we kind of like to think that it's in a vacuum and they just talk and they're talking and it has no impacts because they're not calling for violence or directly Mm. inciting violence. People are listening to that and absorbing it and thinking that it's okay to think this way and it's stoking their Mm. ideology. And that's how attacks like Christchurch happen. Two days before Christchurch, Trump said his followers might resort to violence if they didn't get their way. Two days. Yeah. And he said in his manifesto, um, the Christchurch terrorist that he hoped that he would kill as many people as possible because he hoped it would impact the next US election to have this as a media event. What? Yeah, he wrote that and he's like, I didn't read the whole thing, but Mm. I read that part of it. He directly referenced Donald Trump. So it's all a bit of a mess. But the one thing we can take out of it is how amazing Jacinda has been. Mm. She's been this like beacon of hope for the whole world yeah. like what an amazing politician and human she is i just think the funny thing about her like even just the thing about her that's cutting through all of this the reason everyone's so obsessed with her right now is because it's all 
completely genuine. Yeah. So there's nothing contrived about anything she does right now. It's all just coming from a place of deep hurt and deep caring for all these people. And so it's like you, you can't make that shit up. And I was listening to the Daily did an episode on her. I was listening to it today and they said a line along the lines of she's a human first and a politician second, which I was like, mm, yes. Yeah. But also that this isn't in the daily, but she, she just seems to have done it all with this level of professionalism and not, she's not politicizing it, but she's also not overly banking on people's emotions. Like she's not getting out and saying, you know, these beautiful people were struck down too early. Mm-hmm. She's saying, okay, I'm going to change the gun laws. And then seven days later, the gun laws are changed. Yeah. And she was like, I'm going to do this. Or like, I'm going to do an investigation into the emergency services. And mm. then she just does it. It's done in this way that's not making a quick emotional buck, not taking advantage of the situation to make herself seem better. She's just jumped into all the ways she can fix it. Yeah. Also, a side note that I feel like no one knows in Australia, but Christchurch <laughs> has this kind of undercurrent of racism that's been there for ages, like to the point where you go there and you'll see skinheads and it's kind of the only place in New Zealand. It's so weird. And that's so strange. Yeah. And I, and I kind of, I always knew that. I feel like everyone kind of always knew that, but um, it wasn't until this happened and a lot of my friends who aren't white were coming out and saying that they've never felt safe in Christchurch. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like if it was going to happen anywhere in New Zealand, it would happen there. So I hope that something changes there. I always think of New Zealand as not having race issues insanely. Yeah. You know how yeah. it just seems like this very, the relationship with the Maori people is so progressive compared to Australia yeah. and it all kind of seems to have that stuff figured out. No, really. people yeah. are still definitely racist towards them, for sure. Not as bad as you guys are. Yeah. Not you guys, but <laughs> not as bad as Australia yeah, is. Yeah, Australia it's but, really um, bad, yeah. But it is definitely there, like completely. Even fucking Graham on my tour of Africa, I said that our house got robbed in New Zealand and he goes, oh, does it have a big Māori population where you're from? And I was like, no, Graham. No, Graham. My dad um, is. Yeah, 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 no, Graham, but I am Māori and so is Lily. But we're just white with blue eyes and freckles, so you're like confused. It's like like, um, white chicks. He'd be, like, so yeah. confused if he He'd realized. He, like, does not compute. He'd yeah. be, like, that white woman with the formula meme. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. not understanding. Um, but, yeah, so that's pretty crazy. Um, but it, it was cute today. A Muslim woman said um, in Dunedin that she only feels at home in New Zealand since the Christchurch terror attack, uh, which is lovely now. That was an amazing, like, sentiment that Jacinda created afterwards of it being, like, us versus them in the sense of, like, us is mm. everyone involved in the attack who made New Zealand home and them is anyone who doesn't mm. adhere to that. Yeah. Yeah, so she's... Awful. She's a... She's good. She's, she's a gem. She's a good woman. Um. <laughs> okay, let's get on to a lighter note. Tell me about all of the things that you read. Okay. I Africa. read four books. That's um, pretty good. In what, 10 days? Yeah. Stop banging your chair. You're literally banging so much today. I'm so sorry. Move it I'm very forward. like restless. I'm like this. <laughs> like a nervous bang of the chair. Sorry, everyone. Um, 
Yeah, I read four books, but um, the one that I want to talk about, I read, so I read The Pisces by Melissa Broda, which everyone was talking about a while ago. Um, and everyone either loved it or hated it. Yeah. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I fall into the same category. Yeah, and I, I really liked it at the start, and then it just got, it's not even the fact that she has a relationship with a merman that is the yeah. issue. The, she was just her as a, she's just a really unlikable character. Right. Um, so I didn't really like that and I just left it at um, one of the retreats. It's just this book about like sex with a fish. <laughs> I just popped it in the library. I was Did like, you? Oh. Yeah, because they had a library but all the books were about safaris and stuff. And I was like, a fish kind of. Plot twist. Yeah, works. Yeah. Um, I read Difficult Woman by Roxanne Gay, which is the one I was reading before I left. It was just short stories. Yeah. Good. Um, the Librarian of Auschwitz, which. What is um, that? It's a book about a Liberian. <laughs> they had a secret library uh, for the Jewish kids. Is it it's, like... A... It's um, a true story, but fiction. fiction. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's fine. Sounds morbid. Yeah, it's been on the bestseller list for ages. It just got translated, um, but it kind of... Yeah, it's fine. But the book I love... Fine. Yeah. Um, the book I loved was Everything I Know About Love by Dolly Alderton. I feel like we're going to disagree on this. Did you hate it? I didn't hate it, but I... That's, it, that's right. That's yeah. the reason I wasn't going to read it because someone, which is now Sorry. you, said that it wasn't that good. I do think there's something to be said for tempered expectations. Like you reading it, not thinking it was going to be the best thing that was ever written made you like it. And me reading it after everyone was like, it's the best, probably made me not like it. Mm. you know yeah i loved it i found it so funny i was like bursting out laughing as i was reading but i think maybe it's because do when you read it i mean you obviously knew who she was because you listened to the highlight but yeah when i feel like even back then when you told me you didn't like it i knew who she was and i was sort of like yeah she's she's funny or whatever but I didn't know as much about her as I do now. Whereas now reading it, it felt like I was sort of reading a friend's book. And so I sort of knew the way she would say things. And so I laughed at them because I knew how she would be talking about it. I don't know. I felt like I like her writing and I like her a lot. I felt like there wasn't, I, I felt like nothing bad had happened in her life, which is a bad thing to say. But I was like, I just don't think you have enough material to write a book yet. Like, that's what it felt yeah, like. Yeah. And I guess maybe that was the point that it was just turning these relatable everyday sequences into a funny, easily digestible mm. thing. But I was, I just kind of felt like that girl that you meet that literally everything in her life has gone right has written a book. Yeah. You know, like there's been no big family drama. Yeah, there's like, been no big the... horrible breakup. There's been the worst thing that's happened to her is that her best friend's sister passed away, which is sad, but that's not even her yeah. grief. Yeah. Like, I don't the, know. The um, two biggest things that, yeah, happened in the book happened to Farley, yeah. who are her best friend. Yeah. But I still, I don't know, I still really liked it. I, I know what you mean by nothing bad has ever happened, but I sort of think that that's not the point. Like, I thought the yeah. point of it was more. She, and, and even how it's because it's titled everything I know about love and she's only 30 now or 29 now. So obviously you don't know everything about love. Then she hasn't even been in a long-term relationship, but it's more about the love of her friendships and growing up with all her friends and even just bad dates. And I kind of just loved 
all the little tidbits. Yeah. Like I loved when she was just like these the most annoying things people say in order. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I'm not gonna have a starter, are you? Was number yeah. one. I was like, yes, that is like actually so annoying. <laughs> just shit like that. And then like yeah. I'm engaged was number six. Yeah. <laughs> and then she wrote um all these um fictional emails to people about what so it's like you're invited to a baby shower, but she just wrote what they're actually going to be like. And it's like, you know, making all your friends with kids, oh, making all your friends who don't have kids feel really inadequate and left out yeah. and making all your <laughs> friends with kids feel like they're not as good of a parent as you. Um, yeah. But yeah, I found it really good. Yeah. I loved it. I read it in a day and I was like laughing yes. and then I bawled my eyes out at one point. Uh, I actually did like reading it. I think I did like reading it. I think I'm being a bit too harsh on it. Yeah, I just, just... I know what you mean, though. Like even when, when I read it, I was like, oh, can I just write a memoir? Like, can... Like, but I feel the girl like down the street just write a memoir? Like, I was like, is this just all we have to have experienced now? Like... But her thing is her humour. Yeah. I feel like it was a funny book. Mm. It wasn't... It wasn't kind of about her having done enough. It was about yeah. her, like... Even just how she made... She did a whole chapter on how she interviewed some guru guy... And then they just talked for two weeks on WhatsApp and on the phone. And then they met and then he just like tried to have sex with her and left and never talked to her again. I love and that. I love that story. I was like, that's. Yeah. And it summarizes so many experiences. Yeah, and it's just so 20s. funny. And like, it's a, something that would have happened to all of us. <laughs> I, I feel like that. And that's what Lily was saying too. She was like, I feel like everything she said, we can relate to. Yeah. It's kind it of was very relatable. Us. I think, I think. To better summarize it, the thing that bothered me is that it didn't feel like it was aware of the fact that it was so Light. blessed. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was written with this self-referential tone of like, how lucky am I to get to 30 and the worst thing that's happened to me is this like guru banged me and left. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I just felt like it was missing that, but I'm probably being a bit too critical. It's a good book to read. Mm. People should read it. <laughs> I really switched around on that one. I know. Um, and then the only other recommendation I have, because I've just had my head stuck in books, and I kind of, you know, when you like, you just pick one medium and that's all you want to do. I've been, I like knocked out a couple of books this weekend, and then I've just been on like a book. I was like, I just need to read everything yeah, that is written I down a, on a piece of yeah, paper. Yeah, I bought yeah. a book at the airport and was like, I just want to read this. And then yeah. I got home after not seeing Anton for two weeks, and I was like, nice to see you and then just kept staring at my book i was like i just want to read but i know he's gonna find me so rude yeah um and then the only thing other thing is um i have been listening to a podcast called the argument um and the latest episode so it's three different experts talking about their differing opinions on a topic love Mm. what who does that i think it's by the time i feel like i heard an ad for that today yeah and the ad was like you shouldn't listen to people who always agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, and this topic, which you just touched on before that I listened to today, is, is Trump causing white terrorism um, off the back of Christchurch. Love. Yeah. So you were just talking about that. I would love to listen to that. Yeah. It's very interesting. Your turn. I read Adele by Leila Slamani. So it's... You know how we read Mm -hmm. the nanny book, Mm -hmm. Lullaby? It's actually her first book, but it got translated second. Oh, so it's just been translated. It's just been translated Mm -hmm. to English. So it's been like, it's her second release in the English world, but it's her first book. Mm -hmm. Definitely not as good as Lullaby. It's about a sex addict. It's like a woman who's addicted to sex. 
she's married with a child and descends further into you've seen the movie nymphomaniac no it reminded me a lot of that it's fine i you know how sometimes with the translation how you don't know if it's bad writing or bad translation yeah that was what was happening with um the book i read in auschwitz yeah you see how to say auschwitz i know i don't know why (laughs) (laughs) i just forget after every single time i say it i'm like i have no idea how that's said and i immediately forget yeah i've read so many books on it yeah and in my it's you know when you read about like harry potter and Hermione, you say her name differently. You're like Hermione. Yeah. yeah. And then you hear the movie and then for years I was like, it's Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was translated from French. It's it's fine, but I ripped through it in like half a day. Mm. It's 150 pages. It's quite lightweight. Lullaby is definitely better. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's kind of interesting to read about sex addiction that way. It's just yeah. like so hectic. I was like reading it on the train and it was like... I don't know, like, she grabbed his hard penis and I was like, oh, like, I just felt like such a pervert on the train. Um, and then I read uh, Margot Jefferson on Michael Jackson, which I bought hoping to read before we did our Leaving Neverland episode, but didn't come in time. <laughs> but it's basically this woman, she's like an African-American journalist and essayist, and she wrote this book in 2006. And it's all about, like, the cultural impact of Michael Jackson and the reason that I wanted to read it was because I still feel like after watching Leaving Neverland, like I didn't get the the mums leaving their kids with him. Like it baffled me so much. Like I was like, I just do mm. not understand what the impact of this man was that two seemingly normal women would do this. The book was really helpful in like framing to me what a big deal Michael Jackson was. Like even though uh, I got it, yeah. I didn't get it until no, I, I read. S- I yeah, totally get if you it. met someone like that, you just lose all sense of yeah. perspective. I reckon. And and she has these really interesting chapters which I loved. I'm like, Michael Jackson was kind of weirdly. I think she. It seems kind of obvious from reading it that he was probably sexually abused as a child, mm. um, and that he. She's like, it's this weird thing with child stars. Michael Jackson's a good example where his whole shtick in Jackson 5 was like he sang songs that were very sexual in nature. They'd be about like, I'm going to get this girl and I'm going to blah, blah, and steal her from my boyfriend. And they had weirdly sexual lyrics. Mm-hmm. Even his dance moves were really sexual. Mm-hmm. And when you watch the kids in Leaving Neverland do the dance moves, it makes you feel weird watching it because they're like grabbing their crotch and like mm-hmm. grinding and like grinding on the floor. He was also doing that as a child in that Motown thing and it's kind of like when you're made super sexual as a child before you understand it it screws with your understanding of it as you grow older it kind of made me obviously not justify anything that he did but kind of get it in a different way it's super interesting I can lend it to you if you want that was another one it was like 150 pages read it in an afternoon Um, so I read those two books and then I watched Us last night which is oh I want to see that oh my god I loved it I'd read that it wasn't very good before I watched it, which I think made me like it more in a way because I had very low expectations. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Like, it's so good. I fucking yeah. I loved every minute did of it. Did you think it was as good as Get Out? You know, I actually did. I think I, I think if I hadn't read a couple of bad reviews before, maybe I wouldn't. Lupita Nyong'o is like... She's a hidden. So beyond. Yeah. I'm like, give her the Oscar again, please. Yeah. Like, she's, she's so, so fucking good, good in it. 
Um, the whole story is like kind of wild. It goes from like a horror movie into kind of like a zombie movie, which I love. Um, I want to watch it. When I when Get Out came out, I saw it four times in cinemas because they just kept making other people come with me to see it. Oh I kept like, I kept, yeah, I kept wanting other people. Like, you know, when you I see something that, and you want someone else, you want to see their reaction. Yeah. So, like, did that. I like took Zach and then I took my brother and then I took my mom and then I'd been on my own. So, I'd, like, <laughs> I saw it four times. I feel like I'm going to do the same with this. I just loved it. I just I can't wait for someone it. else to see it so I can ask them what they thought it was all about. Let's go. Yeah. This weekend, maybe. Yeah. And then the other thing I've listened to is called To Live and Die in LA which is a podcast. It's a little bit kind of scummy in a way. The guy who does it is a Rolling Stone journalist. He's one of those pickup artist guys. You know those guys who write books? No. That are like 20 ways to pick up women. And oh, just those, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. When I saw that, I was like, ugh. It's about this aspiring actress who was disappeared at the front of her home in LA in like February 2018. And it's kind of following it's it's a crazy story. Like it's a crazy, crazy true crime story. But there's something about the way it's covered that just doesn't feel like it has very strong yeah. journalistic ethics. Yeah. But that sucks. it's still but it's kind still of addictive. Yeah. yeah. And it's still unfolding. I almost don't want to tell you about it. My mom okay. was said to me, just what listen to it. There's a bit where it's you, you you're like holy shit like there's just a giant plot twist amazing um What's so it's good for that to live and die in la okay um and then the dropout the dropout <laughs> was the other big one which we've been obsessing over yeah so elizabeth holmes i don't know how many people are across elizabeth holmes i feel as if some people really know about her rather yeah than i think it's worth explaining who she is because i Knew her face and I knew her name, but I knew nothing else until listening to this podcast. Yeah, someone posted about it and I was like, what is this? And then listened to it and it started ringing some bells. Yeah. But yeah. She, Elizabeth Holmes is 28 now. I don't know. Um, she ran a tech startup in the Silicon Valley called Theranos. Their whole shtick was that they were going to modernize the blood testing system. So instead of having painful blood tests you would get your finger pinpricked and from that tiny milligram i don't know of blood they could do hundreds of tests for different diseases and that they would put them in walgreens and then eventually they'd put these systems in houses all over america and you could like prevent diseases by getting your blood tested anyway the company went on to become worth 10 billion us Mm. had a staff of 800 800. 800 people. It had a board of members that included Henry Kissinger and General Mattis, who were two Secretary of States. They had three Secretary of States. <laughs> oh, at some point. my God. This giant thing. Anyway, the whole, uh, the woman who runs it, Elizabeth Holmes, was super young, dropped out of Stanford at, at 19 to start the company. Quite pretty, mm. blonde, always wore red lipstick, always wore a black. A very ill-fitting black turtleneck <laughs> and blazer. Um, and the whole thing was a fraud. And the technology never worked. They had to buy in competitors' blood testing equipment to do the blood oh test. God. Everyone working there was desperately trying to make the technology work when it didn't. But they were selling it in the market as if they did. And now she's facing 20 years in jail. 
And shit, the funny. There's so many funny parts. There's so many insane. But aspects. I just, I just kind of want to know what she had because so she obviously had this X factor where when people met her at Stanford, like professors and everyone, when they met her, they were like, she's going to be the next Steve Jobs. She just had this thing about her. But I think it was just more just pure determination and kind of she just knew. She was like, I just want to be a billionaire. I'm just going to create this company. And she was obsessed with Apple. And so she would just, when she dropped out of Stanford and decided to start this company, which I think someone had already told her when she was at Stanford just would not work. She dropped out and started the company and then she just kept poaching people from Apple. One of the guys was lost, was like, I lost 15,000 shares in Apple. I asked Zach how much that was and he said it was something like several million dollars. Like so much money. Oh my god! And then she got obsessed with everything about Steve Jobs, and she started wearing the black turtlenecks he used to wear. And um, one of the guys she poached from Apple said that um, Steve Jobs loved Izzy Miyake and would wear Izzy Miyake's designs. And so she just went and copied all of that. And then she changed her voice. That's the most insane thing. I think it sets the um, podcast, the dropout, off to a good start where you feel. You can kind of revel in how ridiculous it is because one of the first things you learn is that she has this super deep voice. Her voice is literally like, hello. Like it's like so yeah. deep in comparison to her face and yeah, stature. Yeah, but why would you even bother doing that? And all her friends are like, that's not her voice. Why it's, it's so creepy. That? Like when you think about it and you hear it, it's really, really, really creepy that she's put on this voice. Yeah, and then um, a few, like a few of the guys that worked for her said that that um, sometimes she'd get drunk. Like not often. <laughs> One of the guys was like, "It never happened around me, but I've heard that it happened around other people." She would get drunk and forget and go back to her normal voice. There's some amazing videos on YouTube of her dropping out of doing the voice during interviews, and you'll get maybe a two to three second bit where she's just talking normally and then she'll be like, oh, and then just go back down wow. to the voice. It's super weird. There's a lot about her. I feel really bad about the last episode of the podcast is interviewing her friends from high school and they just said she never had any friends. She would spend every lunch break on her own just reading books. She just kind of created this whole alter ego in her head Mm. it kind of made me feel sorry for her but at the same time it's just so wild it's it's like the ultimate case of a big idea just getting out of control yeah and you just having to run with it she just kept running with it the technology didn't exist and she kept um so people would come into her office and be like elizabeth this just doesn't work and she'd be like you're fired planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
just fire them on the spot <laughs> and then just go back to typing like yeah. some sort of press release about the newest in- invention. It's so crazy. It's crazy. She was on the cover of Time. In the documentary, The Innovator, I think it's called The Innovator, oh, The Inventor, sorry, um, they interview <laughs> the first man that put her on the cover of Fortune 500 and he's so, he he's in tears by the end of it. It's like the saddest thing to watch. He's this middle-aged man, respected journalist, and he just got completely sucked in by her. So much of what she told him made no sense. Like it's it's laughable. She says, like, we miniaturize the blood. <laughs> And anyone's like, that makes no sense. Like, it, it, you don't even have to have a science degree. And he just published that in Fortune. Because he just kind of, and he's like, I don't know why I did that. I feel so terrible. And he's like crying and it's really sad. Yeah. He's like the fire festival guy. It's so horrible. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's, it's all crazy. I mean, no one got hurt in the sense of. A there man were people. killed himself. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. What about him? Yeah. yeah. That was pretty awful. It sounds like she was a pretty big bully. Yeah, but it hit. So this guy um, who worked for her, she would bully him and bully him. And his wife speaks on the podcast and said that he got really depressed when he was there. And the next day, he was supposed to have a meeting with her um, where he expected to be fired. And then he attempted suicide. And then he passed away like a week later. And then Theranos didn't send flowers. Or do anything, yeah. That's so crazy. So Imagine crazy. if you'd worked somewhere for 10 years and then that's send the flowers. That's actually, that's an interesting thing to bring up because I think there's been a lot of jokey rhetoric around her of it just being kind of weird and embarrassing and then there's mm. been think pieces about, well, no, she had really big impacts on people's lives. Yeah, like it's yeah. not just funny and jokey. It was really, really, really immoral. Mm. Yeah. She's not. It just reminds me of like, I don't know, me being... Uh, I don't know, just you inventing this alter ego for yourself and then doing it and then everyone believing it. So you're like, oh, Mm, and then you just have to go with it and it becomes this huge thing that's bigger than you and you just have to just keep going with it to the like. It's that weird thing, like that weird girl you know from high school that had these big ambitions. Mm. It's also funny because one of the um, people who quit because he was like, this is crazy – or no, I think he actually walked, worked for Walgreens and he was like, do not go ahead with this deal. It's, <laughs> it's bullshit. And then they went ahead with it. And his wife, a few years later, when she, I think, was named like the world's youngest billionaire, um, she, his wife was like, oh, are you ready to admit you're wrong to her husband? Yeah. Who called her Elizabeth's bluff. And he was like, nah, like, I just know there's something not right. And then this all happened. There was all these things... Uh with journalists being interviewed and asking to see the machines and she was like no yeah but even him he was like i need to test that this works can we just do a blood test and she was like no yeah i think that the dropout was touted when i first read about it as a story of ambition gone awry yeah and i feel like it ties in nicely to something we'd wanted to talk about for a while which is is ambition for young women now it feels like kind of the most important thing for us. I don't know if you feel like that. I feel as if being good at your career and having a career is the most valued aspect of being a young woman today. Yeah, I know. It definitely is. And I think it's this huge thing where it went so far in the opposite direction of what it was for kind of our parents' and grandparents' generation yes. when it was like, 
the homemaker and the, the one who looks after the children that it went so far in the opposite direction that now all anyone cares about is climbing the corporate ladder and having yeah. this really wonderful career and being yeah ambitious it's so interesting i since i've been we've been talking about this i've been like talking to random friends that i've seen at wherever socializing and so many of them joke about did we all just have it better when we were housewives yeah we don't mean it but but this idea now everyone i know would fucking love to not have to go to a high-powered, high-stress job every day and mm. be a hugely stressed out and be constantly obsessing over making sure that they're impressing the boss and putting in extra hours and staying late mm. and getting in early. And My um housemate yesterday, she gets she leaves home at like 6 a.m. and gets home at 8 p.m. at the um. moment. She's a lawyer. And she was saying that um, to get a promotion they have to put in these crazy hours because that's what people look at. They look at how much overtime they're doing. And I was like, yeah. that's crazy. But she can't, like, she sort of explained it. And I think any lawyers who are listening will know what I mean. But it's, you know, your billable hours, you have to meet those. But I was just like, it's crazy that you're staying, you're getting there at 6 a.m. and you're staying till 8 p.m. And that's expected of you just to climb the ladder. Like, that's what is needed in any law firm, but it's crazy yeah. that it's needed at all. The thing as well is that ambition is uh, not something that everyone is born with. Like, it's, it, I think it used to be considered unique to certain people. Like, certain people are ambitious, mm. and that's part of who they are. Whereas now it's almost considered the base level of it, – it's like you're letting the side down if you're, if not. you're not ambitious. Yeah. I've spoken to friends of mine who've had kids and – they want to hang out with their kids all the time. And it's not because they're bad feminists or they're unintelligent or they're not hard workers. It's because there's more to life than your job. Yeah, And absolutely. they have a one-year period where they're allowed to hang out and not worry about work and kind of take things slowly mm. and spend these formative years with their child. And a lot of people I know have gone back to work sooner than they wanted to because – they felt like bad feminists or as if they'd be judged by their friends if they just took extended maternity leave. Or they or felt like they... they had to to stay where they are in their job and not yeah, lose their place. Yeah, and not yeah. just friends. Yeah, it's it's you're, you're, it's really frowned upon for you. You know, you hear about women like the Yahoo CEO who went back to work six weeks after having twins. Mm. And that was that people didn't react to that. Like, what the fuck? People said, what an amazing girl yeah. was, what an amazing woman, like how inspirational. It is that hard thing where it's, you know, I remember Glenn Close's Golden Globe speech and she talked about how her mum spoke to her, her mum spent her whole life dedicated to her dad and raising children and turned to her in her 80s and said, I've literally done nothing with my life and was really upset and Glenn Close teared up and cried talking about it because she said, we have so much more to offer as women than just being nurturers and caregivers. Uh, that's obviously one end of the spectrum and I feel like we're probably the generation that's inherited mothers who've really drilled into us. You need to have a Mm. career. You need to be set up for yourself. You need to not rely on just being a mother or just being a wife. Um, But the opposite end of the spectrum is that we almost feel if we're not excelling in our career at all moments of every day that we're – Failing. letting that yeah. we're letting down that ideology in or a just, way I, I feel like it you're not even thinking that you're letting down the ideology you're thinking that you're letting down yourself yes, you're thinking yeah. that you're slacking off I think I feel like I'm 
slacking off at work if I'm not run off my feet all day to the yes. point where I can't have a lunch break. Yeah, so yeah. So when I have a lunch break or if I scroll on my phone for 10 minutes on Instagram. I'm guilty. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I'm slacking off today. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it's funny because I, I was reading this article today um, about what happens to ambition in your 30s. Um, with women sort of burning out when they realize the job that they've worked so hard for and put first isn't really what they wanted or isn't fulfilling them. That's so interesting. I always think about that. Yeah, (laughs) and I feel like I'm sort of getting to that point now where I'm kind of like, where I've been my entire life, all anyone's, the the words people would use to describe me my whole life would be ambitious and someone who... Hardworking. Yeah, hardworking and someone who thinks about their career, like career driven and and always focused on work like I would get yes. home from to my flat back in Auckland when I lived in New Zealand and I'd be working all night me and Lily were joking about it the other day I'd come home and I'd had dinner in the lounge and I'd go into my room and work and then now I'm sort of getting to the point where I'm like oh my god I just want to be able to sit down and read a book and I want to relax and is this all there is to life and then you look at other and I was reading the article and it's like all these women were saying to the writer that now they're just they just like I want to go and have a veggie garden yeah and I want to have a beautiful home and I want to relax and it's like we're all working so hard that by the time we're 30 we're burnt out and we're yeah. like this is fucked and yeah and what's it all for like it needs to all be done in a certain context like it almost feels like now I feel the same I've worked when I was in year 11 I had two jobs Mm. And when I was in year 12 doing HSC, I think I had three jobs or two. I've just worked so hard from the age of 14 and I think you're the same. It's kind of intrinsic in us Mm. and we feel more comfortable and we're working hard. And I feel now that we're both at points in our careers where we feel really proud of and satisfied with where we're at. But there's a constant quest or hunger for like more, more, more. What's the next thing? What else can I be doing? This isn't enough you know it, it needs yeah, to be that's something how I feel all bigger the time when i look at other people my age and i'm and like sally rooney for example Sa- yeah the irish yes. author who's released two incredible bestseller books by 28 and i'm like what the what the fuck am i doing with my life it's like when Jen- i always think about how jennifer lawrence won an oscar at 21 and i just sit and hate myself for like four hours <laughs> yeah i'm like you're so useless like why don't you just go and do <laughs> something with your life yeah. See, mine's yeah. more people in our field. Where yeah. Because, you know, you think, oh, because everyone around you, like your friends and family, they're all supportive of you. So they're like, you're doing well. And then you feel like you're doing well at work. And then you look around and you see someone, even you, like years younger and doing this incredible print job where you just did your first cover interview for Half of Zark, congrats. <laughs> and like, you, you just look around at other people and you suddenly start being like, what the fuck? And then it's just yeah. this huge, comp- like, not competition, but thing where you feel like you're not good enough yes. and then you suddenly think well, what even is it for like why do you even need to be exactly why do you it need feels, to be a best-selling author so at 28 i know it feels so much more tied to my identity than anything else i'm i'm in terms of how i look in terms of how much money i make in terms of how i dress my body like all of the things the one thing that really gives me satisfaction it's career success. Mm, and, and and the thing is that we've been taught to think that that's good because that's how men measure success. But maybe they also have it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe uh, it's like Jordan Peterson. There's so much controversy around him. I don't know anything enough about him to talk about whether or not that's justified. I don't know. But there's a video of him talking to a BBC, I think it's Channel 4 journalist, 
about the gender pay gap and it was really controversial because people said that he was suggesting that the pay gap doesn't exist whereas I watched I didn't really feel like that was what he was saying he was more saying that for men so much of masculinity and identity is tied to whether you can be a breadwinner and whether you make money and whether you're successful and that a lot of men would prefer not be CEOs and managers and Mm. having these insane careers that require you to work 90 hours a week and never have a home life and always be stressed and miserable but they do it because that's what manhood is and that women should question whether they actually want that or not and then people frame that as him saying that well why would women want to be competing with men for CEO jobs but it's not that I think he's just saying that that everyone needs to question whether they really want that. Yeah, jobs at that level yeah. are kind of horrible. Like, yeah. you're, yes, you're making more money as a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, but maybe 99% of people would prefer not make $20 million a year and have time with their families and mm. live in a normal-sized apartment but be happy with themselves when they go to sleep at night, you know? I love – Um. so at the end of this article, the woman was saying that it's all about a shift in perspective and – an appreciation for imperfect circumstances and unmet yearnings as a facts of life and a willingness to seek gratifications and inspirations outside the boundaries of a job. Yeah. And it's just the little things. Like sometimes I feel like I don't even make time to go to the gym. Yeah. It feels like an indulgence for me. Yeah. I'm like, I absolutely cannot go and leave the office and go to the gym for an hour. That's being bad at my job Mm. to do that. Even though in that hour I'm, it, I do something that I might be able to do in 15 minutes if I'd come back reinvigorated yeah, from a Pilates class or whatever. You know, Pilates? Like that's, yeah, I You've don't never know. gone to Pilates in your life? Never. Yeah. Um, I know. It's crazy. I feel like we all need to slow down a bit. And I feel like it's hard and it's hard as well because now there's this, there's this kind of unhealthy comp competition yeah and i feel like women are very bad with competition yes they're so competitive yes. especially i feel in our like in our careers well i don't know i haven't been in a different yeah career but yeah. even just there i feel like everyone's so competitive you just never you can't rest no you can't <laughs> no rest. respite the ground is shifting it's beneath your feet at all literally times. it's crazy um, pandora sykes wrote a really good article about this for sunday style that i read when i was in the uk um and it was called do you have fomog f-o-m-o-g and instead of fear of missing out it was fear of missing out on goals and it was about how instead of like fomo wishing you were out with friends you get like career fomo of people that are doing things instead of you and you feel like Mm. you see things on social media whatever everyone else is doing you it makes you feel shit about yourself and she talked about how like seven weeks after she had a baby she was at some like shitty work dinner talking to a TV executive. And he was like, why are you here? Like when she told him she just had a baby, she was like, why am I here? Like, she was like, I didn't have to come to this. Like literally no one told me to come to this. I just got invited to it. And I was like to an event on Tuesday night when I had gotten back at 4 PM from a flight from Johannesburg. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, I just, even though that's not having a child, but you know what I mean? Like I was exhausted and jet lagged and I was like, maybe I'll just get up and come to this event. Yeah. Because if I don't go to it, you know, she said, I thought if I didn't come to this event, I'd miss out on an opportunity. And Mm. I didn't. And I never had a great opportunity come out of one of those dinners before, but it was this paralyzing fear that if I missed out on one dinner or one event or didn't go to one thing that, 
I'd become one of those women who just stays at home with their kid and doesn't care about their career anymore. Mm. And I think that's such a huge, it like speaks to this huge thing that we have now where we measure our success by career goals and then if we don't live up to it, just feel shitty about it. It's just like another thing on top of everything else, on top of like having perfect skin and yeah. having great clothes on Instagram and a curated and feed. And that's the social media. Like, it's cool that she was talking about that in her article because that's just another huge thing where now that we have this platform for showing off, yes, that's just another thing to be able to show off about is career success or cool things you're doing. Yes. Which just breeds more. And the only reason you kind of post it is to have people pat you on the back and say good job you know what I mean it's all a bit of a mess and the other thing that obviously everyone has been talking about um is Madeline McCann and the new Netflix documentary and the new podcast I didn't like the podcast. No, I didn't listen to all of it. I just listened to it. I just got sick of it. Yeah. Like, it's very sloppily done, I felt. It's crazy like, that I was... it's done by um, Channel 9. Yeah, and I just... Like, what? Shouldn't it be There was bits by... of it where I was listening, and I just all of a sudden was like, wait, what? I was like, how did we get here? Yeah. It, yeah. But the Netflix documentary is very tastefully done. Mm. So, okay, thoughts on... What's your theory? Okay, so I haven't finished the Netflix documentary, but I have read up quite a bit on the case i think that what the netflix documentary does a really good job of is showing that there was such a media circus around it and that the media was so desperate for stories that they would kind of report on things that they really shouldn't have because amanda knox yeah it was you know that guy in the second or third episode where he was just kind of hanging around trying to help and it became this witch hunt against him Even with the parents, it feels like they're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt in the sense that the media were so desperate to come up with a story that they they jumped on making the parents seem guilty in ways that were probably a little bit unfair. In saying that, I feel like they did quite a few unusual things that I don't really understand. So what do you think happened? I think... I, th- I think the idea that they sold their child into sex slavery or something just seems a little bit no. beyond yeah, any so that's sort of one reasonable of yeah, so, conversations. Maybe we should quickly – I feel like we don't need to even explain no, if, what yeah, McCann she, is. Yeah, if you don't know who she is, she's um, a girl – she was three years old when she went missing from a hotel in Portugal where her parents and I think eight other people yeah. were um, – on a family holiday with all their kids and she was asleep in a room with her twin brothers asleep twins um who are a little bit younger asleep in the same room as her her mum came in to check on her at 10 p.m and she was gone yes um and then her mum went running back screaming she screamed actually they've taken her yeah very which is a very strange strange thing thing to to say. say yeah um so after a lot of chat with my colleagues yes this is my conclusion okay that they were, which you've mentioned as well, yeah. that the two friends who have been like the main people speaking, one of them said she saw a man leaving. She, one of them said she saw a man crossing the road when she yes. went to check on Maddie 
holding what looked like a child that was later proven to not have happened yeah so she was lying about that Tanner. yeah and then her husband as well has been quite vocal turns out is he he the doctor they're all doctors everyone everyone on that trip all the parents that were there together were doctors both the mccann's and their friends i think all six sets of like all four sets of parents were all doctors that is so incestuous yeah they'd all met through through work yeah yeah um so what I think is that they sedated the children. There was a rumor about that, but I hadn't found any like conclusive police work on it, but it had been reported in the media that yeah. they, cause they all had young children. They're all on holiday that they'd been sort of giving the children sedation drugs at night. So they'd sleep through the night. So the parents could kind of relax and have a bit of fun. Yeah. So, which is, crazy quite wild, wild. to do yeah. <laughs> so when i first heard that i was like as if because they um i kind of buy it i think if yeah. you were a parent and, and, you and you're a doctor we're a doctor yeah. and we're like this is a safe yeah amount. yeah um and yeah so i was sort of like i don't know but then the more i think about it and and kate mccann when she was asked questions by the police that was one of the questions she refused to answer were, were the children sedated? Yeah. She wouldn't answer. It's like, well, it's pretty easy to say no if they weren't. It's a, also, it's, and it was a strange thing because if Maddie had been abducted, the two twins were like, obviously they can't talk because they were babies, but they were completely asleep and undisturbed when the mum came in and there'd only been a 15-minute window between when the last parent had checked and when the mum came in, so it seemed kind of They strange. didn't wake up the entire night. They yeah, the whole night they didn't the wake whole up. Whole night like, the whole night when the man had been when, in the house. And no, but like yeah. after. yeah. So when the police were called and people were coming in and out of the room the entire night when there was a huge search of the hotel and people were searching past midnight and then from 6am they didn't wake up the entire night. Yeah, They were lying in bed and then the police were in the room with the kids asleep and they said that um, Kate kept leaning over and like looking at the twins and um, I I can't remember if it was touching their neck or just like looking at their necks to see if like which looked like she was seeing if they were breathing. Right. I think as well, um, I read that, I think my mum told me this, that apparently Madeline had been really highly strong that day and really like a handful. So if they had been doing that, they might have Given it overdone more. it yeah. than usual. I think it makes sense that maybe that's what happened and that they accidentally overdosed and then you... Because there are a lot of cases like this where, where, where people accidentally murder someone and then panic and yeah. then it becomes bigger than Ben-Hur, this whole yeah. situation, and you can't back down. So I feel just like gotta... that's what oh, – I think this is speculation. That's what happened with John Bonet Ramsey. Yes. they they It was an accident, and then they went too far trying to cover it up. Yes, um, and it became a huge case. In saying that, which they do highlight in the documentary, which is important to mention, is that there were active pedophile rings and child abductions happening happening in portugal around the same time well that's why i thought it was that initially because the parents were saying that they they were going to a restaurant really really close to where their hotel was and people coming back and checking every so often like the timings are all off because they were obviously having drinks and no one was keeping exact time yeah they were going back and checking and the door was unlocked to the house which is crazy. They left the door yeah. unlocked. My mom said she was like, they've been trying. I'm like, Coral is the oracle of mm-hmm. all parenting ever. But she said, that's quite unusual to do, to have two 18-month-olds and a three-year-old. The apartment was 100 yards away. 
which is like quite a walk like it's not from here to x to y like you, you yeah to, to be leaving a unlocked apartment front door with three kids in there it it's is crazy it is kind of wild yeah like it's not just average normal parent behavior no yeah exactly i'm um, sure some people i'm sure a lot of people do do it i'm not saying that no one does it or it's a sign that they're guilty but it's yeah. like it's not like this common so then thing. i was thinking that you know like because my workmates were sort of like well, it would involve so much planning if someone was going to abduct one of their kids. And I was like, well, not really. Like, if you were watching the resort because you know it was a family-friendly place yeah. and you saw these this huge bunch of people with these kids and you saw them every night they'd been going to that tapas restaurant and leaving their kids and doing the same yeah. thing, you would notice them walking back to the room every, like, 15, 20, half an, half an hour, whatever, and then walking back to the restaurant and see you'd see that the door was unlocked. You'd see they weren't putting a key in if you're watching. Yeah. And then you watch one person go and you'd walk across the road, walk in, grab the kid and walk out. Yeah. Like it'd, be, it'd be like so simple. Some of the things about what the McCann's did that was really strange was that they called family and friends in the UK the night that she was abducted and they said that a glass window had been shattered. There was mm. glass all over the floor that it had very obviously been broken into and none of that was true yeah so people were like why would you make that up yeah and um i guess maybe in their defense i think if you see something and you come to an immediate conclusion you can kind of misremember a scene in a way that suits what you think has happened like i I can see myself being like Everything was, there was blood on yeah. the floor. Everyone was staying away, and then there'd be photos of the crime scene, and it was just like nothing yeah, yeah, was yeah. really that different. Maybe like the blanket was off a little bit, and the you know, like yeah. I can kind of see how that would. The happen. other things were that um, an Irish couple, completely unrelated, saw a man walking along the beach that evening with a ch- holding a child towards the ocean. Towards the ocean, and the child looked asleep. Yes, which is creepy, and um, they went to the police and drew a sketch of the guy and it looks exactly like Jerry McCann. And they also said, did you hear, which is super creepy, is that they didn't think about it after it happened and what reminded them of it was seeing Jerry walk down the plane holding one of the toddlers mm. and the way he had the child held in his arms. Was the they same. were straight away was like, that's the man that was carrying the, the child towards the beach. Yeah. So, and also Kate and... Jerry didn't mention to anyone else that like either of them had been missing from the dinner that evening. Like they didn't say yes. that they'd been that there was any point in time when they weren't all at the dinner together enjoying the meal. But then friends who were there said that Kate remarked about how long Jerry had been gone watching football. So he was gone for like an extended period of time that night. It's which strange. is unaccounted for. It's strange because the whole case and the reason that they haven't been able to pin anything on the McCanns is because this group of seven people, I think it's seven, mm. the Tapas Seven, as yeah. he always says in yeah. that annoying podcast. He's like, the Tapas Seven. And I'm, I was just like, shut up. That he, every single one has stuck ironclad to the story. But I think that... Uh, I'm no going to do that for you if you disappeared for like two hours and then your child was missing. I'd be like to the police, hey. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, but just... I feel like not, they don't all know. I feel like they all think that she was abducted. But Apart even, the, even like then, not mentioning. But doesn't, didn't something like that's how we know that he was off watching football because someone said. Right. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, it's weird that they wouldn't be like, they were acting strange or when he got back, he was. Weird, or, or, yeah. yeah. But the whole thing is odd, like how 
they did little things like they the police said not to release the photo of Maddie showing her birthmark because if she was abducted, they would kill her because she'd be so easily spotted. And then they yeah. just released that photo. And there was that very bizarre kind of world tour they went on where they did these stops in 10 different European cities. And they left and... their um, two kids at the hotel in Portugal with a babysitter. Yeah, where, where Maddie was yeah, abducted Yeah, the place from. where she was abducted. And they kind of stopped off at Spain, London, yeah. Portugal. And they it, used the money raised um, to pay off their mortgage for Matt to find Maddie. It's, yeah, yeah, it's all... And she washed um, Maddie's toy, so her little soft toy. She's, Kate said that the reason she knew someone had been in the room was because Maddie's soft toy that she didn't go anywhere without, she was always holding on to it, was moved. Like it was like thrown off the bed or something. And she said that's how she knew that there'd been someone in the room. And then right before police searched for forensic evidence, she washed it. She And why would you wash the toy that has your daughter's smell on it? Yeah. And, and also if you're an abductor, wouldn't you just let her bring it with you so she wouldn't freak out? And another massive thing, which we're like just glossing over, is that these dogs that were trained to smell for blood and death smelled yeah. it in the room and in the McCann's rental car, which they rented after Maddie's disappearance. Oh, God. And they rented it. So they rented it after her disappearance. So the theory is that Jerry took her body to the beach and hid it somewhere oh until the until everything died down, and then they moved it in the rental car. But it's like it didn't even die down. Like if you manage no, that, that's crazy. I know. Crazy. Yeah. I think it's so. I think but the how would they even? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They wouldn't have any alone time. I guess. Zach said to me, "Why are people so obsessed with this case?" And I said, "Because it's one of those things where whatever is true." is crazy mm. whether this little girl was abducted in the 15 minutes before between them checking on her at a luxury high-end resort mm. or her parents killed her and covered it up like whatever happened is so 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 insane i just find it sad that i feel like we're not going to know an answer we'll probably never know an answer and it's how awful for the parents if she really was abducted and they've had to go through that plus the... I know. I just feel like they've been... They have acted so dodgy. They've acted very, very strange. Yeah. But I also don't think that it's a completely out-of-this-world thing at all that she could have been abducted. Because... No, that's the thing. It's common. Yeah, it's it's common. And People don't want to think it's... It's like shit... Crazy shit like that goes on all the time. Crazy shit happens. That's why I think that I... It's kind of more juicy and salacious to believe the parents did it but it's kind of like reminds me of the Adnan Syed thing where it's like we've we've gone to such lengths to believe he didn't do it ignoring the fact that boyfriends kill their girlfriends without provocation every single day you know Mm. Like we look about all these reasons why it couldn't be him without acknowledging the straight up fact that it's probably the number one cause for murder. Yeah. Right? And it's like this, we're looking at all these reasons why it can't be child abduction when it's like that is something that happens and it happened in that area and is actually quite a common thing as unpalatable mm. as it is to think about. Yeah. I just wish we would know an answer. I would just love to know. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> More speculation it is. I love the random um, theory that there was this pedophile down the road that they sold her to. Yeah, like Freud's grandson. Yeah, that just did not happen. 
I know they were like proof they went to dinner at his house. I was like, well, they went to dinner and like signed is, a contract. Why did they go to dinner at the guy's house? Yeah, that is kind of random. But he <laughs> like he's like a very well connected person to be Freud's grandson or whatever mm. he is, like in the art world and culture world yeah. and stuff. Anyway, um, thank you for listening. Please send <laughs> Please send any hot tips and theories about Madeline McCann. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, love. Please tell us what please. you think. Yes. Um, and please rate, review, and subscribe. And we will be back this time next week. Thanks. Yes. Bye. 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 Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.